Transforming care through genomic medicine, personalized therapeutics, health services and outcomes research, and innovations in healthcare delivery. We're Children's Mercy Kansas City, presenting our audio interview series, Transformational Pediatrics, with host Dr. Michael Smith. So our topic today is can acute, uncomplicated appendicitis be successfully treated with antibiotics. My guest is Dr. Sean St. Peter. He is professor of pediatric surgery at the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Medicine and is program director, Pediatric Surgery Fellowship. Dr. St. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, you know, I have a a couple of little stats here. Uh, Appendicitis has an incidence of 80,000 pediatric cases per year, and the gold standard for the past 100 years has been to treat children with appendectomy. So obviously there's been a change in thought in this. So what has happened over the past few years uh, that's brought us to this point looking at antibiotics as a potential treatment? Well, it started with uh, the perforated appendicitis. The, the worst case is developed an abscess. That's a very difficult operation. So people realized you could put in a percutaneous drain and then treat them with antibiotics. Then people started to treat all perforated appendicitis uh, with, with antibiotics with the idea being that you, you make an easier operation for yourself later. Uh, we had done a pilot randomized trial on that topic a few years ago and found that they were fairly equivalent in length of stay, but the early operation had higher quality of life and it wasn't stressful for the families. And then a larger study taking all comers showed that there was a benefit to doing an early operation. So some centers are starting to back away from doing uh, primary antibiotics in patients with perforated appendicitis. But the next natural question led to this concept of do, do people who have non-perforated appendicitis transition to perforated appendicitis once they start their antibiotics and can their operation be delayed? It became pretty obvious that that wasn't the case. And in fact, once the antibiotics started, you're, you're treating the disease. And so frequently people would feel better within a day or two um, once the antibiotics were started. So then there was a, uh, a pilot study done in adults that showed that there was fairly equivalent outcomes. Uh, basically a non-inferior outcome by giving antibiotics up front. And most of the time, you can avoid an operation altogether. And so the question then goes to children where appendicitis is extremely common. And they have uh, obviously a lifetime risk as opposed to somebody who's a little bit older and has medical comorbidities and you want to avoid an operation um, regardless because they're higher risk. These are fairly healthy people who have a low risk of an operation, um, and and if you leave the appendix, then you're going to be be leaving it for life. And so there's been several centers that have turned their attention to this, and we started working with a group in Toronto as well as several uh, groups in Europe about three years ago on developing a, a multi-center prospective randomized trial. And the idea would be to definitively gather a cohort of patients that will answer the question, if you treat with antibiotics alone, what's the chances of failure at one year? And that is the number that we need. We discussed this for for a long time um, about how we were going to develop the study and what the sample size would be. The study is designed as a non-inferiority trial, meaning at what point would you say this is actually inferior um, because it obviously can't beat uh, an appendectomy. You've got 100% success rate, the appendix is out, that's done. So it's not going to be superior, but it's also not an operation. So you're not shooting to be as good. Right, right. It just means you want to say, at, at what point will you say this is no longer acceptable to avoid an operation? And 
my thought was, I don't care what we set the non-inferiority limit at, considered it 15%, 20%, 30%, it doesn't matter, because the number of failures is what mom's going to care about. So if we say it's a 20% non-inferiority margin and it comes in at 18%, so we declare it non-inferior grade, it comes in 22%, we declare it inferior grade. But that 22% to a mom who's terrified of an operation sounds great. And that 18% to somebody who had a horrible night the night before with their appendicitis, right. is that's going to sound terrible. So we just need to establish what that what that number is so that we can adequately consult patients, and then they can choose. So, okay, so when it comes to this study, where, where are we at um, uh, in terms of recruiting for this study? What are the number of children you're going to try to get into this study? What age groups are you looking at? The ultimate end is about 1,000. And we're looking at ages 5 to 16. Most kids under age 5 do have a perforation. Uh, even if they, they don't look at it, they usually have it because they, they, they don't have enough somatic awareness to tell you when they're, when they're having a problem early on. We started with Toronto as being the primary site, and, and unfortunately their center saw this as being a sponsored drug trial, even though there's, there's nothing experimental about Augmentin. And in fact, um, we don't even control what the antibiotic is. So you can give any antibiotic you want. Our point is just broad-spectrum antibiotics versus appendectomy. And they got into um, a little bit of a legal snafu and had to give up not only primary, but really can't participate in the study. So we became the primary site, and so now we're the, we're the organizing site. We've enrolled 60 patients here. Uh, Stockholm has enrolled 30, and there's a handful of other sites that are, that are up and running, um, although they've all... Uh, just had small numbers so far. Helsinki has enrolled close to 10, and um, Winnipeg, Ottawa, Calgary, Vancouver, and London, Ontario have all gotten IRB approval, and none of them have, have more than five yet. Okay. So we're, we're sitting at about 110 patients in total right now. Tell us and about the with, patients uh, in the... In, oh, go, go I was ahead. going to say, that, that's, that's with enrollment starting in January, so... Uh, we're about okay. a half a year into it. So tell us about the patients in the non-operative group. What exactly is going to be their course of treatment? So they, um, and that's another interesting evolution, is initially we were talking about 24 hours of IV antibiotics, but the fact that in the, in the United States and in our institution, we send patients home immediately after their operation, it's if you see somebody on Sunday night and you say, well, if you randomize to operation, you'll have your operation in the morning and then you'll go home. If you randomize to antibiotics, then we'll reevaluate you Tuesday morning. Um, no one's going to, no one's going to buy that. So we had to give patients the uh, opportunity or the ability to go home that first day. And so what that looks like uh-huh, is if you come in at 10 o'clock at night and you randomize to non-operative management, then you're going to allow, you're going to be allowed clear liquid diet. And in the morning, if you feel good after drinking some clear liquids, you can have breakfast. If, if you can eat and keep your food down, then we're going to switch you over to oral antibiotics and send you home with a 10-day course of Augment. Everybody gets rosefaflagyl, and we use once-a-day dosing for both, which is kind of unique, the 30-per-kilo dosing of flagyl. But that way you've got a 24-hour dose on board to begin with, and that's going to cover them throughout their next day, allows them to uh, get out of the hospital and transition over to oral antibiotics. Initially, I think we were a little bit more jumpy, and now when somebody is still in pain post or post admission day one, we usually encourage them to give it one more day because most of the time they will transition between day one and day two and then feel better and be ready to go home. Okay. So, so just to recap, so that's 12 hours of IV antibiotics. If they can eat in the morning and they're feeling better, 
you switch them over to oral, and then and then they go home. Um, as far as um, so, what, what when you really look at this, and and with your experience with using antibiotics, and your experience uh, with appendectomy, I mean, what what do you think are going to be the results from this study? I think that we are going to replicate where some of the meta-analysis are in adults, that it's going to be around 80% successful, and it may end up having a little bit of a higher failure rate than that because of um, uh, parental-driven reasons, which which is okay because that's real world. I mean, if we rolled this out tomorrow and said this is our standard of care, you're going to have people that are that are going to continue to come back and be anxious, and you're going to have to take out the opinion. Right. So that, that's not a false failure. I think that's a, that's a real failure. And um, and then from there, it's going to be interesting to see what the recurrence is over time. And I would like to see at Mercy uh, to, to get a very large cohort of patients that we could follow in perpetuity. So I think it's going to be difficult to do that in a, in a multi-center fashion. But if we can establish a, a large cohort here, then we can check it one, at two years, at three years, and at five years. And that's going to be the, the real important thing. And if, if you start to see many failures there, then I think people are going to lose enthusiasm for this. Right, right. Where the centers that have picked up enthusiasm for this, um, and, and I can understand why now that I see these patients back in clinic, is that they're when they leave the hospital, they're normal. So even though we, we can do a, a nice, slick, single incision laparoscopic appendectomy through the umbilicus, there's no visible scar, there's no activity restrictions, no beta restrictions, and you go home the day of surgery, that sounds great. But at the same time, it does take a little bit to recover. Sudden start-stop motions are going to hurt the belly button for a little while. When these kids go home, they're fine. So if they go home on Monday, they invariably go to school on Tuesday. They go home on Tuesday, they, they go to school on Wednesday. And you can't say the same for an appendectomy. I mean, you, you frankly can't. So when people right. randomize to antibiotics and they've got some big thing coming up, some big athletic event coming up this weekend, and they come in on Thursday and you put them on antibiotics, they, they're going to be fine to play. What is your So, so the, the one-year follow-up in the non-operative group, um, looking for appendicitis, right? Where, where did that number, was that simply just an easier follow-up um, time frame to deal with in a multi-center situation? Because it does seem that the follow-up should be at diff, uh, you know, some longer points here, year and a half, two years. Why was there the one year chosen here? Because of the multi-center uh, randomized nature of the study, and we realized that you wouldn't be able to keep your hands around that cohort for a long time, and for the sake of the study, you've got to wrap it up. And so, you know, this, of course, started with um, funding applications. And so we went through several rounds of funding efforts, which we have so far not succeeded. Um, but just the same, as a study design, your primary outcome is established at what point, and one year is about realistic for uh, a feasible study. So, Dr. St. Peter, you are also the director for the Center for the Prospective Clinical Trials. Tell us a little bit about that uh, department that you direct. Yeah, that started as an uh, effort to answer questions in our field, and there was just a tremendous amount of heterogeneity uh, for the management of common conditions. And so we started focusing on randomized trials in common conditions. And so when I, when I started on staff and there was this idea of, calling this effort the, the Center for Prospective Trials, my, my goal was to have five studies randomizing by, by that first summer, which, which we ended up accomplishing. And so since, since then, um, there's been sort of a frame shift within the way the entire uh, Department of Surgery thinks, and we, we no longer talk about 
opinion very often. We, we talk about evidence. And, uh, for instance, we just had a fellow start, and he didn't like the idea that we use Foley catheters on our patients with perforated appendicitis. So I said, we, we don't hypothesize here. Go ahead, uh, write up a prospective protocol and make some very strict criteria for who does get a Foley, everybody else doesn't, and then we'll look at the failure rate and we'll answer the question. And so we have completed uh, 15 randomized trials. That, that have gone to print, and we're currently conducting four at the moment, and this is this is sort of our flagship study at the moment, the antibiotic trial. Well, Dr. St. Peter, I want to thank you for coming on the show today, and thank you for the work that you're doing at Children's Mercy. You're listening to Transformational Pediatrics of Children's Mercy, Kansas City. For more information, you can go to childrensmercy.org. That's childrensmercy.org. I'm Dr. Mike Smith. Thanks for listening.